0: Trevor McMakin, an Anglican church planter in Aurora, Illinois, he sent me a a Facebook note this week, and he said this. He says, I just decided that 1 Peter 2.9 is your life verse. And so I dialed up the verse and I replied back. But anybody get some idea of where he's going with 1 Peter 2.9? Anybody know what that is? You are a royal priesthood. holy nation (laughs) and so we're almost finished with the royal series and so there we go and then he replied back he said now if you remain steadfast under trial you will receive the crown which was promised James 1 12 go royals yes go royals it's good for our city and we pray for the welfare of the city, right? That's what Jeremiah tells us. And, and go royals. You know, the royals have their own liturgical thing going on, right? What's the, what's the liturgical color? Royal blue, right. They have the prayers of the people. How many have been praying for the royals? Come on. I don't do that. Don't yeah. All right. And then they have symbols. What is, uh, what is their logo? The it's the crown. Yeah. So there we go. Well this morning we're going to pick up where we left off last week talking about some of the signs and symbols of ancient Christianity. I think we were uh, at least smelling the gospel this morning, right? Did you smell the gospel when you came in? We need to hear the gospel, we need to taste the gospel, we get to taste the gospel today, we get to touch the gospel, and we get to smell the gospel, we get to hear the gospel. And so liturgical worship is engaging all of our senses around the gospel of Jesus and all of these readings from Old Testament to New Testament and how Revelation, which we can read it many different ways, but try reading the book of Revelation not as some end times document today, if you read through it this week or kind of re-explore some of the passages that we've been reading, but say, hey, where is all of this coming from? This is the New Testament, and John is seeing all of this imagery of worship, and you have to ask yourself where it's coming from. It's coming from the Jewish tradition that we've inherited, the incense and the, oh, just the bowing and the prostrations and all of it is coming right out of temple and tabernacle. And Christianity as... The Holy Spirit landed in Jerusalem on a Jewish feast day. It was the fulfillment of Judaism. And so there wasn't this massive discontinuity that occurred when the Holy Spirit landed. There was a full continuity of what had been promised in the Old Testament with types and shadows of the things to come The Holy Spirit all of a sudden makes these types and shadows alive. The ancient Christian church never did away with incense and prostrations and bowing and images because they had a Jewish context for it. And so we've been hearing some of these passages. And I just pray that we could hear those in the context of, wow, this is early church worship. John is describing late in the first century Late in the first century, we believe that Revelation was written around 90 AD. He's really seeing heavenly worship with earthly worship imagery coming straight out of the Old Testament. And so we've been grafted in as Gentiles, you see. We've been grafted into the rich heritage of Abraham. We're all sons and daughters of Abraham, Paul tells us. And so we get to enjoy these symbols and these smells and all of this It's beautiful. It has this continuity that goes back centuries and centuries and centuries. And so that's what we're going to look at today. And so let's think about what symbol means. What is symbol? Symbols are powerful means of communicating beyond words. They are meta-rational signs of the interior world leading us to an eternal world where two realities unite. The word symbol comes from two Greek words, sin, S-Y-N, S-Y-N, and balo, symbolo, which means to bring two realities together and place them side by side. That's what symbol means in the Greek, balo. A sign points to another reality or destination, like a stop sign, you know, stop, or this is the way to the city limits of Kansas City. A sign points to something. Whereas a symbol is different than a sign. Symbols express and somehow incorporate and make present a higher reality. And this is orthodox teaching. This is ancient understanding of symbols. It's not our contemporary understanding of what symbols are. Symbolism in the church is crucial because everything in the church has a dual character. Everything in the church has a dual character, material and spiritual. And so these two have been wedded together in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. The incarnation is the game changer for Christianity. And it's not only the incarnation, but that's the beginning of the life of God on earth in human flesh. And Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. And so ancient Christian worship is rooted in the Old Testament. It's rooted in the Old Testament anticipation, types and shadows, of the new covenant fulfillment in Jesus Christ. What is typically misread and misunderstood is Roman Catholicism or even paganism, actually is rooted in the worship of tabernacle and temple. That's where the church got it because the church began its upward ascent on the day of Pentecost on a Jewish feast day with Jews and proselytes being landed on by the Holy Spirit. Wow. And so, did they change everything? No. This is on the, you know, they kept their rule of prayer throughout the book of Acts, Peter and John are on their way to pray certain prescribed hours, which were the Jewish hours of prayer. They kept up that rhythm and that lectionary of prayer, synagogue worship. We get, we get our worship from synagogue worship. And so, that's a continuation of Old Testament and New Testament. There is this. Amazing continuity. There's discontinuity for sure because the sacrificial system is no longer intact. But now we offer up spiritual sacrifices. As you come to him, First Peter says in chapter 2, the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him. You also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house. What's that? What's a spiritual house? In? What's he talking about? Anybody? Yeah, temple though. Let's think Jewish language because Peter is drawing off of Jewish images here. So yeah, it's church because the church now is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're right, exactly. But the imagery is the temple. Now Jesus fulfills the temple and says, destroy this temple, speaking of his body, and I'll raise it up in three days. He is the temple. And the church is the temple of the Holy Spirit because we've been brought into Christ to participate in Christ it's a participation it's a communion in Jesus Christ himself who has not only died but risen and on top of the head of Christ the risen Christ on this cross this is an icon cross that is the ascension that's Jesus ascended okay this cross really preaches the full gospel Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ has ascended to the right hand of God. Beautiful, beautiful. This is our heritage. Beauty, God's into beauty. He calls us his beautiful people. He does, and all throughout the Psalms, he says, you're my beautiful people. It's just, God is an aesthetic God. He he is so into creativity and art, and and yet, let me say this, and we'll get into icons, Icons are not art. Okay, let me say that in case I don't say that anymore. They're more than art. They're beyond art. They're meta-art. Okay, they're windows in the heaven. And so you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, Jewish context, offering spiritual sacrifices, Jewish context, just transformed now into thanksgiving and praise and Eucharist, offering and serving Absolutely. Hospitality, that's a spiritual sacrifice the book of Hebrews talks so much about. But you are a chosen people. What does that sound like? Israel. You're a chosen people. He's talking to the church now, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. The church now is the holy nation. Not replacing Israel, but being grafted into Israel. Come on, Israel. Receive your Messiah. That's our prayer, right? We want Israel to lead the way. And so we pray for the peace and the safety, not of the secular system of Jerusalem. No, 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 no. But we pray that all Israel would be saved, as Paul's prayer was. Oh, and there will be a day when all Israel will be saved. I don't understand what all means there. All means all, I'm sure, but... What does that mean? I don't know. I've read a lot about that that I don't agree with. We have been grafted into the holy, we are the holy nation along with Israel. We are no longer two people but one in the new Israel, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the fulfillment of all that Israel was called to be. He is God's chosen and beloved son. Out of Egypt I have called my Son, speaking of Israel, fulfilled in Jesus, okay? And so you're a holy nation, God's special possession. You feel that way this morning? Are you his special possession? You are. And it's beyond emotion and feeling, but you just gotta get that. I am a part of his special possession. You may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, But now you are the people of God. Church, you are the people of God. We are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The two have become one in this man, Jesus Christ, the new humanity. Ancient Christian worship incorporates and celebrates the fulfillment of the Old Testament types and shadows. It's not contemporary looking, but contemporary churches have their own icons. It's the jumbo flat screen. There's iconography on that. It's just a new kind of iconography. It speaks of secularism most of the time, but there's nothing there typically that would lead you to the historic path of the people of God, beginning on the day of Pentecost right up to this day where we're hearing this preach today. And what we are attempting to do is gather as a people who reaches back to that day, and yes, we are in the lintage of the people of God, not some sort of new fabrication that we make it up as we go. And so all I am called to do now is to deliver unto you what I have received. So if I am being overly creative or new, I'm not being faithful to deliver. It just needs to be delivered in a fresh way in the anointing, in life. And so that's part of the vision of St. Aidan's is to grab that which is ancient and old and make it live again in worship to our living God, to declare the praises of him but to claim our inheritance with all of the signs and the symbols and the sacraments of the Holy Church, which we are not divorced from, but tied into. We love it. And thus, ancient Christian worship incorporates and celebrates the fulfillment of the Old Testament types. It engages the senses and calls one to integrate one's body, soul, and spirit as one. St. Augustine, you know this one? The new is in the old, concealed, concealed. The new is in the Old Testament, concealed, covered up. And then the old is in the new, revealed through Jesus, St. Augustine. So number one, these notes are in your bulletin. In Christ, worship on earth is united with heavenly worship. And we talked about this last week. John's Revelation, read it again, not merely as focusing on eschatology or end times, but on liturgical worship. John is describing the heavenly worship as liturgical worship. To us, from non-liturgical traditions, what we do may seem merely external or ritualistic. We use terms like high or low church. But those terms did not exist until after the 16th century. High and low church. They didn't have options of how they were going to do church. Are we going to leave all of this out and put the pulpit in the middle? And and, uh, they didn't have those options. Because for the first thousand years before Roman Catholicism began to emerge as a separate entity, 1054 AD, the church in the East and the West was one church. And so what I do is I'm going for first millennial Christianity, the church of the seven ecumenical councils. That's a type of Anglicanism. It's not the only kind of Anglicanism. But it's seeking to embrace the full Catholic package with the full Pentecostal power, with the evangelical fervor of preaching the gospel and smelling the gospel and tasting the gospel and touching the gospel, right? Not just rational, but transrational, meta rational. See, it's that enlightenment mentality that has robbed us so much of the mystery, right? And the, the Reformation, much of it was needed, but it really was a product of the enlightenment, which was, you see, the Eastern Church never went through the enlightenment, and, it's, and it shows. But one thing it didn't do, because they didn't go through the enlightenment, so they may seem really behind and backwards, and not with it for the modern world, right? But they, they kept the signs and the symbols and the forms and the sacraments intact. And so we're seeking to take all of that and live in the modern world and communicate it afresh. We've got everything going against us in the secular arena for people to even get their minds around what I'm talking about. We've been secularized since the 16th century. This is not a new thing. This has been an ongoing project use terms like high church, low church, smells and bells, and I like to think of it on many levels. I like to think of what we're doing as biblical and historical, first of all, because that's why I had 1 Kings 6 read with images in the temple, or you're not supposed to have images in worship. Well, you'd have to throw away the tabernacle in the temple, okay, From one thing the way that most hardline, reformed Protestants interpret thou shalt make no graven images, they applied that in the worship of God as well. And so that's why you get bare walls and a sermon and a hymnal over here. And that's all you get because we're going to move into idolatry. This that fear of moving into idolatry and that sense of, I got to understand all this right here. Enlightenment. And so I like to think that we're returning to true biblical foundations rooted in the history of the historic church that's never stopped celebrating this way. It's biblical and historical for sure, but also analogous to putting out your finest, pulling out your finest to celebrate a wedding, to celebrate a marriage, to celebrate a birthday of somebody that means so much to you. Paper plates? No! Plastic forks? No! No! Gold and incense and candles and swinging it, man. Oh, but you have to know. You have to know and understand and do it from not forms of godliness denying the power thereof, but a means of godliness pointing to the power thereof. Yeah, I like to think of ancient Christian worship practices as showing extravagant honor of God, employing not only my ears, hearing the gospel, and I've said this already, we hear it, see it, feel it, taste it, and smell it. It's a full experience of the gospel. Candles. Let's look at candles. Why do we use candles? What do candles represent? Candles represent that Jesus Christ in John chapter 8, he says, I am the light of the world, right. Our God is a consuming, yes, on and on and on. But candles and candelabras and candlesticks were made for the tabernacle and made for the temple, you see. The seven-branch candlestick is the symbol of Judaism today, and when I go over and worship with the little brothers and sisters of the Lamb, it's a Catholic community from France. Some of you have gone with me. And on their altar, they have the seven-branched candlestick. And it's so beautiful. <laughs> and it's oil. It's oil, little bulbs of oil illuminating the altar. It's beautiful because they see the continuity between their Jewish faith and who, what Jesus has done, Right. As the Jewish Messiah. We're Gentiles, and we've been invited in to the Jewish Messiah. As history progresses, the feast days and all of that take on completely, the feast days of Judaism take on a fulfillment of Jesus Christ. And so the use of oil, lamps, and candles are found throughout the Bible. The book of Revelation uses the image of a lampstand, an oil lamp in the midst of the church representing the presence of the holy spirit revelation 1:12 then i turned to see then i turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and on turning i saw seven golden lampstands this is the worship of heaven and in the midst of the lampstands one like a son of man clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest The hairs of his head were white. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like a roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. This is the risen Jesus being described in symbolic language, highly symbolic language that relates to earthly imagery in temple and tabernacle being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. John portrays Jesus as saying that he will remove the lampstand. That's an oil lampstand. If they do not repent. Revelation 2.5. This is the church of the first century using lampstands in their worship. We often think of the church of the first century as this little group of people in homes with a King James Bible and eating some snacks and discussing scripture. Almost like a navigator Bible study. But when you do archaeology, this is not the case. This is not the case at all. Yeah, they were meeting at homes, but they did what they could to emulate what they could never do until really Christianity became legal. But it was happening before Constantine, you see. I was reading about it this week just archaeological evidence of the church in the second century before Constantine, where there was all kinds of iconography. And all of this stuff that gets blamed on either Roman Catholicism or Constantine or paganism. No, this is the church of Christi- early Christian worship that we're talking about today. And it's, I'm just reclaiming this with all of my life. And I'm not going backwards. I'm not going back. And that's why we're, you know, I am just calling a people to worship in the fullness of the images and the sacraments and the symbols. And join with the historic church in the way that we do worship. And not to be apologetic about this. Don't let anybody talk you out of this. I'm just saying internally, somebody can say something, you know, and you don't know how to defend yourself. Even internally with yourself. I'm not saying to defend it with other people. But I'm saying you've got to be, this is why I'm teaching this, you've got to be convinced that this is ancient Christianity. I don't want a modern Christianity. I'm sorry. I don't like the modern world. I really don't. I don't like where the modern world has gone. And so the church needs to maintain what it has to offer to the modern world, you see. And not just try to copy the modern world, but to be a prophetic signpost to the modern world. And when people live it out, like Mother Teresa or Francis or any of these people of the great saints, like this, this right here in the 12th century was the crucifix that God spoke out of in Assisi to convert St. Francis. He was before this crucifix and he heard the Lord say, go repair my church. A mystical experience for sure. But it impacted the world. Incense. I was uh, reading a a convert to the Catholic faith who came out as a, he was a Presbyterian scholar, Scott Hahn, and, uh, and, he, and he described his, his uh, field trip, as it were, to an Orthodox church before he was converted to Roman Catholicism, and, uh, and he said, wow, I walked into this Orthodox Byzantine worship service and the smoke was ascending and the... Uh, The people were prostrating themselves, and it was just like icons and kissing icons, and, and he was looking at all of this, and somebody asked, what do you think? And he says, now I know why God gave me a body to worship him. That just jumped out at me. Now I know why God gave me a body to worship him, to hear it, smell it, touch it. Embodied worship for sure, embodied worship. Malachi 1:11 For from the rising of the sun to its setting my name will be great among the nations and in every place this is the messianic age and in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering the cross for my name will be great among the nations says the Lord of hosts Revelation 8 We heard this today and another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. Oh, man. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. It's beautiful. First century Christian worship, describing the heavenly worship in symbolic form. The anointing at Bethany is a beautiful image of this where uh, Mary took the pure nard that she had saved up and with extravagant worship at the feet of Jesus crying and just preparing his body for burial. It said the fragrance filled the room. The fragrance filled the house. Can you imagine sitting there at the feet of Jesus, smelling the fragrance? You can. <laughs> we did. We are today sitting at the feet of Jesus, smelling the fragrance. Lastly, and I, I don't have time for icons, but I just want to make mention that icons are windows, really windows into heaven. Remember what I said about symbols being a powerful means of communicating beyond words. The word symbol comes from symbolo, which means to bring two realities together and place them side by side. We don't worship icons, that's for sure. And there is no icon of God the Father. In orthodox theology, that is forbidden. It's only because Jesus took on human flesh that we can now write icons. And icons are written under strict rules in the Orthodox and Catholic Church. And so they're written with the iconographer fasting and following the tradition. It's a two-dimensional writing. It's not a painting, it's a writing. That's what they call it. It's a two-dimensional writing and is meant to be a window, not that you stare at during worship at all, It's not meant to, like, focus on. Icons are meant to be in the room and to remind us that we are not worshiping alone, but that we are before the throne of God with all the saints and the angels and all the company of heaven. Heaven comes to us as we worship the Lord. And so that's what icons are meant to be, is to remind us of the cloud of witnesses around us In the same dimension in this one-story universe. Not up and down, but parallel together in communion through Jesus Christ. That's the heavenly worship. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.